Good morning again. Uh, I was just thinking about, you know, Moses when he goes up uh, on Mount Sinai. His face was so full of glory when he came down, you know, the people asked him to please cover your face. It is blinding us. So I'm going to picture you that you are so full of the glory of God, you're protecting me from uh, being blinded by that, you know, that radiance of God's glory there. So we call it the Moses uh, mask, you know. Uh, I do wonder about it. I know that uh, Christians in California this morning have been told, they've been given a uh, mandate from the governor, they are not to sing even with their mask on. And being that the Supreme Court upheld uh, the governor's mandate, you know, last month, no more than 25, I would assume that, you know, what he says is law now over there. Um, I just wonder what will be what will be next, you know. Let's read uh, this. Our reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 14. This is the second half of a passage we looked at. Last week, where we have the parting of the Red Sea, I'm going to read verses 19 through 31 and talk about those for a few minutes. Then the angel of God, this is Exodus 14, starting verse 19, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. And it sounds like we need that cloud at some of our political rallies now, right? You know, just keep people separate. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them, and all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last night, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. And the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. 
And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. To those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Interesting times we live in, indeed, I've never seen anything like what is uh, going on. But then as C.K. Chesterton said decades ago, when uh, people don't believe in anything, they will believe anything. And I believe there's a lot of gaps, a lot of vacuums to be filled in people's personal worldview. Sometimes in youth, that's when we experiment the most and get the most radicalized and run hard and think that we have learned, we know everything about life. And then sometimes those things come to jump up and bite us in the you-know-where. And that's how we grow. And sometimes that's how we grow as Christians too. We don't. We could take God at his word and those principles that if you do this, I will bless you. If you do that, I will bless you. I will give you peace. But, you know, sometimes we're the radical. We are the prodigal son and daughter ourselves. We need a, a time of, uh, is, is that old word riotous living? Is that the old word, you know, when the prodigal son went off and spent his inheritance only when he ran out of uh, money and those friends all left him that he thought, wow, God's, I mean, uh, the Lord, I mean, uh, my father's ranch doesn't look so bad after all. Maybe I'll just go home and I can get a job feeding pigs. That might be better than these insincere people that I am hanging out with now. But as mentioned before, I, I'm trying to so, you know, examine what is going on around us, what is going in us with this narrative from the book of Exodus. That's what we're supposed to do with the Bible. We're supposed to try to let the Word of God examine our own soul and our own thoughts and what's going on around us. You know, often the, the biggest difficulty is, is the only person that I can change in this life is me. As much as I may get upset at what's going on around me, sometimes the only person that I can change is me. And so when we look at this story, we are in the midst of the story, the uh the, the uh, bottom line, most important story in the Bible for many theologians, and that is the emancipation of the Israelites from the slavery and the minionship of Egypt. All of your radical theologies, black radical theology, feminist radical theology, LGBTQ uh, radical theology, Theology, all the victimization theologies are built on this passage if they go to the Bible. This is where they go because Moses demanded freedom. Let my people go. And so a group of two million people begin this journey, this pilgrimage. And we're going to see that this pilgrimage lasts for almost 
40 years. They've been in slavery for 400 years. Now they're going to have to learn what it means to be responsible for themselves and to be a free people. Not everybody can handle freedom. Some people actually like slavery. It is much easier. You do not have to think for oneself. You don't have to think as a person made in the image of God to be under slavery. You're like the pony horses at the state park that we take our grandchildren with. When on a hot 105 degree day, we take them for a uh, pony ride at the the corral at, uh, what is that, Robbers Cave State Park. And they get on their horses and they end up being disappointed because... Each horse, as they're in a line, they have their nose down near the rear end of the horse in front of them, and it's just a monotonous trot. I remember the uh, the wrangler there. I had, we had all the grandchildren. I said, "Hey, what would you tell these kids if if they asked if if they said, hey, I want to be a cowboy?'" He just looked at him and said, "Don't do it. Don't do it." It may appear that the emancipation or liberation from the slavery of Egypt is the main emphasis of Exodus, but rather it's really not. It's the sin quo non of the glory of God. You can't get around reading this, these passages and see that this is really, it's not about setting people free as much as it is getting a group of people who become free that they can worship God and give God the glory because they see God acting in real history. God doesn't want slaves or robots worshiping him. He wants people with a free mind to give him worship and to give him glory. And so in this story, God shows in Real history, it is memorialized that he has come to set people free to form a nation under God, literally. That's what the Abrahamic blessing was about. And then the Mosaic covenant, which they're about to receive, was about as well. Like I said, this is the beginning of a journey, a pilgrimage, that's going to last at least two generations after 400 years of slavery. It's not enough to be emancipated from external oppressors. This is what we hear all the time. There's always a new oppressor. But it's not enough to be emancipated from external oppressors. For more often than not, we end up turning into the oppressors that we fight. You see, there's also an inward journey of emancipation. And when you study the ministry of Jesus Christ in the midst of a lot of political chaos in his day, he has come to set the captive free. Did he come to set them free of the oppressors? Of the political realm? Well, in the long run, maybe. What did he set them free from? 
The book of Exodus is the celebration of the covenantal freedom that comes from being the people of God. If you separate God from the process of being liberated, what you end up doing is creating an autonomous zone of hell. Anybody see the, the autonomous zone getting dismantled? The mayor, when she was 100, I, I read in the news, she was surrounded by like 100 people. Her $7 million home, she was surrounded and threatened. She finally said, okay, game's up. Game's up. We let you have your fun. That's it. All right. Coming down now. But imagine two million people creating an autonomous zone. That's what Moses had on his hand. Can you imagine that? All those years of anger and oppression. Can you imagine what that mob could have done to somebody? Man, they could have cannibalized anybody. But in Exodus, we find out that God's people, to keep them from turning into that type of autonomous zone, that they had many things to learn after being freed. Number one, they had to identify and follow God's will, which we're going to see, which is exemplified in the Ten Commandments. They had to find out what God's will was for all of life. They had to remember that God requires fidelity, a loyalty of heart, soul, and mind, loyalty to him. That without that loyalty, they would not receive God's supernatural blessing. And thirdly, we continue to emphasize and find out that they were going to have to make room for the presence of a holy God living in their community 24 hours a day. Wow. You want God living next door to you 24 hours a day? Uh, Jesus is in your heart. He's there. He came and he made, if you invited a man, he came and made his home with you. If he's not, please see me after service, okay? Please see me. That's what this is about. Yeah, we can grieve the Lord when we don't live holy lives. It's, no, it's like no secret. There's no, can't keep any secrets from God. You might as well, like, uh, you know, Debbie was saying, you might as well confess your sin. You know, old St. Benedict got it right. You need some rules to abide by in your life. You need spiritual order. That's the natural flow. We make mistakes. We need to confess our sin because we have a holy God who is living inside of us. Wow, what a paradox, right? I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I feel bad for God. But that's his offer, and that's the power that's the power of the cross. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of, of Jesus. I've always wondered why Jesus didn't talk more about the politics of his day. Don't you wish we had sections in there where Jesus would would give, you know, us some side commentary about the politics in in Rome and the Roman Senate, you know, and what was going on 
And, you know, often they had the love-hate relationship with the emperor, right? You know, they had the Trumps of their day or the Bill Clintons of their day. I mean, they, R- Roman history is incredibly interesting, and none of this stuff stopped when Jesus came. It was still going on. They had their version of the swamp. No matter what sides, you know, you took, almost anybody that got appointed to be in power anywhere in the Roman Empire, even Pontius Pilate, you had to have been born a blue blood. You had to be part of an Ivy League school and intermarry with, with families. That was all there. Yeah, you know, nothing changes, right? But I always wondered why Jesus doesn't talk more about the politics of his day. You know, when I study the Gospels, it seems that there's this back curtain reminder that eventually all the kingdoms of man fail as a testimony to the coming kingdom of God. Every institution, every nation is subject to corruption, especially when the people as a whole turn from God. No one's immune. The oppressee, when freed without God, makes a great oppressor. Well, Jesus came close to kind of talking about some of these things, but his emphasis was really focused on the coming kingdom. Yes, these things are important. Yes, I wish Jesus would have spoken to a form of government that didn't exist in his day, a federalized government where the citizens are called upon to participate in who they elect to represent them. But he didn't really talk straight to that. That experiment wouldn't come around for a long, long time. Let me read you, though, Jesus' reminder about the end times. This comes from Luke chapter 21, which I've been going over the last couple of weeks. Sometimes, I don't know, I read certain sections of the Bible. I'm not sure what it is I'm getting out of it, but I just keep reading it because it just makes me think and ponder about things. Do you ever do that? You know, at at worst, you can do the old, let's flip the pages and just see where my finger lands, and I'm going to read that. That's okay. That's better than nothing. But, you know, you might want something more systematic in doing it. I know some of you like to read through the Bible. I know for a couple of years Loretta was reading through the Bible, and I couldn't believe it. But the favorite place for her to read the Bible was right there in our, in, in our bathroom. She would be standing up. And this is not embarrassing to her, but maybe, you know, taking her makeup off or whatever. But she's standing there reading the Bible for a long time, and she would do this every evening. I can't do that. I could not do that. It worked for her. Some people listen to Bible, listen to the Bible audibly when they're driving their car around. The more you listen to it, let me tell you, the more aha moments you're going to have. If you don't listen to it, you're not going to have those aha moments with the spirit just like wham, wakes up, you know. It's like my neighbor, he, he started shooting these Tannerite targets, and I had not heard of this stuff before. And as of lately, it seems like every, uh, it probably happened tonight, but it happened yesterday, it was 4th of July, 
but particularly on Sunday evenings, my whole house shakes. It sounds like somebody is dropping a 500-pound bomb in the neighborhood. So I called them up one day because some of the neighbors on the other side of me were calling me. I live out in the country. And they're going, hey, Tom, what is going on? Is somebody blowing up dynamite by your house? So I said, no, I think it's coming from so-and-so's house. Let me call him. So I call him up. I said, what in the H-E double toothpick, I'm sorry, are you doing? I have a baby over here. You are shaking my whole house. He said, we're just shooting. We're just doing target practice with Tannerite. You can buy that at Academy. So I had to be educated. You can buy these small explosive type charges. It takes a high-speed uh, bullet of a certain size to set it off. You can't drop it. You can't hit it with a hammer or whatever. But, man, when it goes off, it sounds like somebody just fired an Abrams tank, you know, right, right next to you. When you read the Word of God, sometimes explosive things happen in the spiritual realm. So some of Jesus' disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned. This is Luke 21, 5. But remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come and not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will we see these things happen and what will be the sign that they will be about to take place? And he replied, watch out. That you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he. The time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven but before all this they will seize you and persecute you they will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name and so you will bear testimony to me but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm. Listen to this, verse 19. Stand firm and you will win life. Boom, when I read that. I was actually listening to it audibly at that time. I had to go back and find that. I didn't have time at the moment, so I had to go back and look at it and read it again and again and again. And it's like, I've read that passage so many times, how come I never heard it before? Stand firm to the end. Keep those treasures that God has given you, your principles, your faithfulness. Stand firm to the end, and you will win life. Now, I will let you go on and read uh, these things in this passage. This is part of what's called a, the mini-apocalypse. 
of the New Testament. There are parallel passages that are also found in Mark 13 and Matthew 24 and 25. But if you're looking at this passage, you can go down to verse 29 because he talks about more types of world events that will happen. And he told them this parable, verse 29, Look at the fig tree and all the leaves. When they sprout leaves, you will see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Anybody here drinking more than they used to? No volunteers? Oh my gosh, you hypocrites. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now as a church, we are a a testimony to a journey somewhat like the Israelites when they left Egypt. Wherever somebody becomes a Christian in the world, the Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. It doesn't matter if you're in prison. It doesn't matter if you're a modern uh, day slave. It doesn't matter if you are in uh, communist China. It doesn't matter if you feel that you are living in a failed capitalist society. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And as a church, we are a testimony to this journey of following Jesus, this pursuit of the kingdom of God. Even at times, if we see our own culture committing suicide and self-destructing around us. It's not the first time it's happened. It's very interesting to read some theologians who preach during times like this. I have books on my shelf from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote Life Together and The Cost of Discipleship and many other books. He's infamously known that later in his life he he tried to help plan, be part of a plot to blow up Hitler. But he was a theologian and a preacher during the rise of the Social Democratic Party, a.k.a. Uh, Nazi Party in Germany. And he continued to preach even though all the theological institutions, you know, in the United States back then, they all wanted him to come and be a professor in the United States. He wouldn't do it. I need to stay with my people. The same with the famous pastor Helmut uh, Tillichy, who was known for preaching to thousands in the bombed out ruins of churches in Germany. Because a lot of the Germans, they didn't know what was going on, they were just caught. He wouldn't leave either. He was a great theological mind, and his sermons are bound up in books. I have some of them. 
they're marvels of his time to read. In the midst of that, some of these ministers were still desperately encouraging people to form community and instructing them in how to live together as they eagerly awaited the kingdom of God, even though they were surrounded by war and self-destruction. You see, it's it's a difficult thing to carry eternity in your heart, isn't it? Scott Peck used to refer to this as people who have a conscience. People who are spiritually awoke, sometimes they're the person, they just kind of know too much at what's going on around them, and they're never quite at ease because they know this world can't really satisfy them. Yes, I can invest in a new pool. Yes, I can get a new car. I can take that cruise. But even when I'm on the cruise, sometimes I want to see the poverty-stricken areas that you know I've been on mission trips to. I've read and I understand what's going on with the government and the oligarchy and why things aren't funneling down and it seems like they never change. You know, you know too much sometimes when you're spiritually awoke. But it is a difficult thing to carry eternity in your heart. It's a gift for some and for others. It is a curse to carry the image of God in themselves. Is that a curse for you? From what Jesus taught, there's no tattoos, there's no foreign allegiances, there's no human relationships, there's no secret or dark alliances, there's no surgeries, there's no masks, there's no isolation, there's no revolution that can quite close the gap between what you suspect the world ought to be. You know, it's, it's just right there, it's right around a corner, that, that gap between that secret utopia And the world that I really live in now, and I don't like living with seeing that gap. You see, they all have their joys and their disappointments. And we, Jesus tells us, are all the prodigal son and daughter of God. The church itself is a paradox. Are you having difficulty with your faith during this time? I am. Jesus would say, do not fear, for I have overcome the world. I'm going to end. I wish I could sing this. Probably if I had told the musicians, I could have prepared something. But you might know this tune. I think it's pretty theological savvy to what I've spoken about. It's from one of my favorite Texas singer-songwriters, Billy Joe uh, Shaver. And I was was going back and writing down the lyrics and, and listening to the song a couple of times. You have to listen to a station like 95.3, The Range, to hear him ever play anything uh, like that. But it's called, I'm Gonna Live Forever. And in the video that I watched, it was, a, I think, a recent performance, live performance, and he starts out, he gets up to the microphone, and he says, 
live forever, y'all, whether you want to or not. And then he goes into a song. You know, the lyrics go, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to cross that river. I'm going to catch tomorrow now. You're going to want to hold me just like I always told you. You're going to miss me when I'm gone. Nobody here will ever find me. But I always will be around just like the songs I leave behind me. I'm going to live forever now. You fathers and your mothers, be good to one another. Please try to raise your children right. Don't let the darkness take them. Don't make them feel forsaken. Just lead them safely to the light. And when this old world has blown up us under and all the stars fall from this sky, this guy had read the mini apocalypse apparently. Remember, someone really loves you. We'll live forever, you and I. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to cross that river. I'm going to catch tomorrow now. You're going to want to hold me, just like I always told you. You're going to miss me when I'm gone. Nobody here will ever find me, but I will always be around. Just like the songs I leave behind me, I'm going to live forever now. Amen.